Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, September 20th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Manunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I just want to begin by saying thank you for that incredible send-off to fatherhood podcast, I believe um, (laughs) it was titled. Definitely a number of surprises in there and so appreciate uh, you going above and beyond to reach out to some of the loved ones in in my life and uh, some of the uh, more interesting experts in parenting, fatherhood, I did not expect to hear from in the pod. Could I really do a podcast and not include Jerry Seinfeld, Scott Galloway? <laughs> who, who else did I go? Andy Cohen from Bravo. Was it Chris Rock? Chris Wasn't Rock. Chris Rock in there as well? Yeah, no, it's, it's the first podcast ever that included my mother and Chris Rock. And I'm grateful to you. Anyone who hasn't listened, Jill put it in the feed yesterday. It's the podcast right before this one. Uh, and uh, it was total surprise. So I really am um, very appreciative of everyone who participated in it. And you for being the uh, maestro (laughs) behind it. It was my pleasure. And as I said to you on the phone a little bit earlier, this is big. You're about to be a dad. And I wanted to really honor it. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, By the way, I'm recording this from WeWork where, I don't know, as soon as tomorrow, (laughs) I might not be here for a little bit. By the way, uh, Mo News, our headquarters, we have a partnership with WeWork. We're loving our new home here. And there's an opportunity uh, for any of you out there to get a desk or rent long-term offices. Uh, and we have a special deal for the Mo News community. Right now, 20% off your first six months for WeWork All Access with the code MOWORKS20. You can check it out in the show notes. All right, let's get to some news here. The crisis at the border. Illegal crossings are once again on the rise with 7,500 migrants stopped on Sunday alone. On to presidential politics, Donald Trump is skipping the second GOP presidential debate next week. What will he be doing instead? Not a surprise he's skipping the debate, but where he's going to be, sort of surprising. And it all comes as a new poll shows that Donald Trump is one point ahead of Joe Biden in a direct matchup. We're also going to recap all of the action at the U.N. General Assembly. Yeah, we had Biden, we had the Iranian leader, uh, we had Zelensky on day one. So uh, a lot to get through there. Overseas, Japan says the country is turning gray, we'll explain. Politicians, they're just like us. They want to wear sweatpants to work. The Senate gets rid of its unwritten dress code. Well, some of them do, and some of them are very upset about this move, Jill. And just like that, gas prices back up to $6 a gallon in California. Less in the rest of the country, but for you Southern Californians, we're uh, thinking of you today. A court fight in Denmark after a museum commissioned and paid for two pieces of art. But Mosh... They got two blank canvases from the artist in return. Reminds me of that move. And by the way, the artist is saying they just don't understand art. That is part of his art. We will explain. This is our favorite story of the day. And Moshe's on this day in history. Jill, we've been spending a lot of time in the 60s. Today, we will throw it back to the 1980s. It includes a little love for Who's the Boss with Tony Danza. Okay, let's start with the migrant crisis at the southern border. The number of migrants illegally crossing the U.S.-Mexico border is surging once again. The Department of Homeland Security says 7,500 migrants crossed over the border on Sunday alone. That is nearing the record high that we saw right before Title 42 ended. A quick reminder, Title 42 was that holdover policy from President Trump's administration It started at the beginning of the pandemic, and it let U.S. officials basically turn migrants away 
um, who had come across the border on the grounds of preventing the spread of COVID. The thinking was that when Title 42 expired, it would open the floodgates for migrants looking to come to the U.S., but the opposite actually happened, and the number of migrants dropped for a few months anyway, that number inching back up toward that record of 10,000 migrants crossing the border every single day. In July, the daily apprehensions averaged just over 4,300, but now they are inching back up towards that record of 10,000 migrants crossing the border every single day. We aren't quite back there yet, uh, but by comparison, in July, the daily apprehensions averaged just about 4,300. So it is a significant increase already. And this rise is putting a strain on cities across the country. Yeah, let's take a look at a few of them and start in El Paso, Texas, the epicenter here of the crisis. On Thursday alone, about 1,700 migrants entered the U.S. through El Paso in a 24-hour period. That's just one 24-hour period, and that's double what the city has been seeing. The mayor in that town saying the Border Patrol has maxed out on its ability to house recent arrivals. He says they don't want to release migrants onto the street, but they're running out of room at shelters. Jill, there's a lot of videos that have popped in the past couple of days of just thousands of migrants coming in. Fox News has been playing on repeat about 2,000 migrants coming across the border at Eagle Pass on Monday morning. In California, the Border Patrol there has been busing newly arrived migrants to trolley stops around San Diego and just abandoning them there. The migrants left without phones, transportation, even accommodations. It happens when the Border Patrol gets overwhelmed. All migrants who are released to the streets have already been cleared by Customs and Border Patrol, according to their vetting processes, to make sure they don't pose a safety risk or national security risk. But it is not known whether the thousands they're leaving behind even all have immigration court dates, according to the LA Times. Back in Texas, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection has temporarily suspended operations at a port of entry near El Paso so that personnel can assist in processing non-citizens. This is the Bridge of the Americas, where there's a lot of cargo transport. That's how overwhelmed they are, and that's why this is having an impact on the economy. And then there's New York City, where I am right now, where Mayor Eric Adams has said the migrant crisis will, quote, destroy New York. New York City has gotten 110,000 asylum seekers over the last year, and that is a recent estimate as of a few weeks ago. More than 200 emergency sites are being used. 20,000 new migrant children expected to join the New York public school system. Adams' most recent request for federal aid has been turned down. By the way, Joe Biden in New York City this week has not met with Eric Adams. Uh, there's a lot of agitation at the White House uh, for how outspoken Eric Adams has been despite being a Democrat on this issue. Now, for its part, since May, the Department of Homeland Security says they have removed or returned more than 200,000 people. And officials with the White House are looking at new ways to deal with this, including keeping all new people who cross within Texas. Texas, not happy about that plan. The plan would also uh, include the implementation of ankle bracelets to track the location of all new migrants, uh, as well as migrants who are caught. This has been a controversial proposal and still has not gone into effect. And of course, Congress is weighing in the government facing a shutdown next Saturday. Conservatives are standing strong on this issue. They say that to keep the government open, they want more money devoted to border security. And they also want some new limits on how many asylum seekers can cross into the country, which is a non-starter for Democrats. Yeah, there's some in the Republican caucus who feel that they can you know, try to argue that a government shutdown is worth it. 
over the border. Uh, the issue is that there's not much of a compromise to be had here. The Democrats in the Senate, uh, many Republicans in the Senate, the White House, all saying we got to keep the government open. And now is not the time, you know, that we made some concessions uh, to you guys in the spring. And, you know, you ain't going to get anywhere with this. Even so, you know, whatever McCarthy has put in some of these hardline provisions on the border still has not assuaged the concerns of members of his caucus to agree to the proposal. So there's a lot of infighting among House Republicans on this, immigration being just one part of it. Okay, now to presidential politics. Donald Trump's counter-programming tour continues. Next Wednesday, it is the second Republican presidential primary debate. This one will be in California at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. But yet again, former President Trump, who is dominating the Republican primary polls, will be skipping the event. And instead, he is going to be giving a competing address to current and former members of the Auto Workers Union in Detroit, UAW members are currently striking for better pay and benefits, as we've talked about before. The union president, Sean Fain, not exactly welcoming Trump with open arms. (laughs) No thanks, Donald. He is saying, quote, every fiber of our union is being poured into fighting the billionaire class and an economy that enriches people like Donald Trump at the expense of workers. We can't keep electing billionaires and millionaires that don't have any understanding what it is like to live paycheck to paycheck. He has also said a second Trump term would be a, quote, disaster. Not mincing words there. No. Nonetheless, Donald Trump wants to head there and wants to back up these auto workers. Uh, He feels he can get their support. He posted on Truth Social, his social media platform a few days ago, quote, the United Auto Workers are being sold down the drain with this electric car scam, scam in all caps, This seems to be his strategy to target Biden, saying in a campaign ad separately that Biden has turned his back on auto workers by cutting a deal that uses American tax dollars to help fund China's electric car business. Now, keep in mind, uh, part of the Inflation Reduction Act by Biden last year actually is bringing more jobs and creating uh, battery plants here in the U.S. This will be an interesting uh, battle here because Biden won the United Auto Workers endorsement back in 2020. And while the UAW has historically endorsed Democrats, the union so far this year has declined to endorse Biden in his quest for a second term. The union has said they need to see more from Biden before they make an endorsement. Some Democrats, by the way, think Biden needs to get on those uh, strike lines before Trump gets there. So we'll see if that happens. At the same time, Biden has been extremely supportive of the UAW after the union went on strike last week, saying the automakers have not fairly shared the record profits they've made in recent years with the workers and need to go further in their efforts. So both men, Biden and Trump, trying to say, no, I love you more. No, I love you more. And we'll see how that unfolds over the next few days. And it all comes as a new poll from CBS News shows that in a matchup between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, Trump is ahead by one point, though it is effectively a tie given the margin of error. Three years ago, Biden beat Trump by seven million votes, at least in the popular votes, and defeated him in the Electoral College by flipping states like Arizona, Pennsylvania and Georgia. Also, according to this newest poll, the vast majority of voters, two thirds, do not think Biden would actually finish a second term if elected. They are concerned about his health. Biden is 80 years old. Trump is 77, so he's only three years younger. But voters are far more likely to think that only Trump and not Biden has the cognitive and mental health to serve. Yeah, so by the end of a second term, Biden would be 86. 
Trump would be 83, but the concerns are much more significant for Biden here on the age front. You've seen, we did a bit of this over on the Instagram feed over the weekend. You're seeing columnists who've been very friendly to Biden saying, mm, might be time to hang it up. Who wants to have a conversation with him? Especially is there concern that Kamala Harris will be made an issue here. She is unpopular among independents and among swing voters. And there's concern that she will be the focus here as Biden is already the oldest president in history and strives to even break new records when it comes to how old a U.S. president can be. Now, Trump is far and away the front runner in the Republican field. Hence, as we mentioned earlier, he's skipping the second debate next week, as he did the first debate. But he is facing new blowback from anti-abortion activists within the Republican Party because Trump will not commit to national abortion restrictions. Trump was on NBC's Meet the Press over the weekend. He said from a legal standpoint, he thinks abortion is better handled by the states, not the federal level. Now, this, of course, has been the position of the Republican Party for decades. But now in the post-Roe v. Wade overturn era, there's a push among some Republicans, particularly evangelicals and social conservatives, for uh, national abortion restrictions, ones that would put new limits on states even like New York and California, where uh, they remain pro-choice despite the overturn of Roe v. Wade. Now, this is leading to a fight within the GOP. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who recently signed legislation in Florida with a six-week ban in that state, uh, being attacked by Trump, saying that he thinks uh, DeSantis made a terrible mistake there. DeSantis pushing back, saying his signing of that law was, quote, noble and just. But it does come, as you're hearing evangelicals, particularly in Iowa, the first voting state, uh, push back on Trump. Uh, saying that you know they don't feel that he's strong enough on abortion. The irony here being that Trump appointed three Supreme Court justices who helped ensure the overturn of Roe v. Wade after 50 years. But Trump has been very pragmatic, very practical about this since the overturn of Roe v. Wade, saying he's worried about the impact that's had. Again, even though he appointed the justices who would do that, and he previously vowed to do that, he's been worried about what the impact here is on female voters, independent voters. And he so far appears to be wobbly on a national abortion commitment. Now, what that means uh, and whether that impacts him within the GOP remains to be seen. He's clearly playing the long game here, Jill, knowing that in a general election, being supportive of a federal ban on abortion, probably not going to play well in a number of purple states. I did want to quickly mention about Trump skipping this next debate. Chris Christie, who is also a GOP presidential candidate and very critical of Trump, says that he will literally follow Trump around the country if he does not <laughs> eventually go to a debate. He said he will like he'll change his campaign schedule. Christie, certainly in need of traction, continues to remain in the low single digits there. So maybe that'll work. We'll see. All right, Joe, we have a lot more to get to, including today's speed read. But first, let's get to one of our new Mo News partners, Shopify. They have a new deal for all of you listening today, whether you're a business owner or whether you produce something as a hobby and you're looking to potentially sell it. If you haven't heard of Shopify, you may have heard this sound before. Now, that's the sound of another sale being made using Shopify. If you're a business owner like me, you're always looking for a solution to get your products out to everyone. Shopify is the e-commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses around the world. We will be launching Mo News merch this fall, and we'll be using Shopify as our hub. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or 
totally IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business. It has a great checkout that helps you convert browsers into buyers. Right now, they have a special deal for the Monews community. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period over at shopify.com slash monews, all lowercase. Go to shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, dot com slash monews to take your business to the next level today. And we're also always talking about health trends and food trends and how hard it is to get all of your nutrients. Well, one way to try to get all of the important ones is Athletic Greens AG1 powder. I've been drinking AG1 in the mornings for quite a while now. It's just one scoop with a glass of water. It is quick and easy and lets you get on with your day, knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. So visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, and that's all in caps for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. President Biden made his case before the U.N. General Assembly on Tuesday that the world must remain united in defending Ukraine against Russian aggression. He warned that no nation can be secure if, quote, we allow Ukraine to be carved up as he tries to rally support for Kyiv's effort to repel a nearly 19-month-old Russian invasion that has no end in sight. Take a listen. Russia believes that the world will grow weary and allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. But I ask you this, if we abandon the core principles of the United States to appease an aggressor, can any member state in this body feel confident that they are protected? If we allow Ukraine to be carved up, is the independence of any nation secure? Biden called on world leaders to not let support for Ukraine diminish, arguing that Russia is counting on countries to grow tired of prolonged conflict in Kyiv, which will, quote, allow it to brutalize Ukraine without consequence. He said Moscow's price for peace was Ukraine's capitulation, Ukraine's territory and Ukraine's children. The Biden administration has asked Congress to greenlight an additional $24 billion in security and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. However, Republicans who control the House have all but ignored that request as lawmakers are scrambling to ensure that government funding remains flowing beyond the end of September. Yeah, it's very unlikely that Biden will get that, given the fighting we're already seeing on Capitol Hill among Republicans who you know don't have a deal yet. And Ukraine is deeply unpopular among the group that is uh, creating the issues for Speaker McCarthy. Biden did discuss other subjects. We'll get to them in a second. But Ukrainian leader Zelensky also gave an address to the U.N. on Tuesday. He warned wavering leaders not to trust Russia and has said that Russia is trying to exploit divisions with propaganda campaigns across Africa, Latin America and in parts of Asia. Zelensky told world leaders, quote, evil cannot be trusted. Ask Pergozin if one bets on Putin's promises. Pergozin, of course, the mercenary leader whose plane fell out of the sky a couple of weeks ago. 
Zelensky added that Russia is weaponizing essentials like food and energy, not only against Ukraine, but against the rest of the world. Uh, there have been major food shortages. Ukraine really is a breadbasket, literal breadbasket for much of the world. And with the ongoing war, Ukraine has not been able to export as much at times, none at all. And that is leading to escalating prices and famine uh, across Africa and some other regions. By the way, for those unfamiliar at the UN General Assembly, over the next two weeks, you're going to hear from all world leaders who are in attendance. That includes you know, leaders of very small countries to the largest in the world. And among the others that spoke on Tuesday, uh, the Iranian president, Raisi, who, among other things, called out democracies, saying democracies are failures of government. Uh, he also said that the protests that they've seen in Iran over the last year were all concocted by Western intelligence, uh, had no origins, had no root cause, legitimate root cause, were just basically a campaign by the rest of the world. So uh, not really based in reality there, but just want to let you know about that. Back to Biden for a second. He also addressed China in his speech on Tuesday uh, and said that he's going to be clear and consistent on China, that he seeks to manage competition between China and the U.S. so it does not dip into conflict. He said that he is for the U.S. de-risking with China, not decoupling with China. So effectively an acknowledgement that the U.S. and China have to sort of reluctantly hold hands as they manage the global economy. He specifically says that the U.S. is looking for China to work on climate change issues. Uh, and he talked about climate a lot in his speech. Uh, keep in mind the two largest polluters in the world, the U.S. and China. And so uh, that was a focus of his speech, hoping that uh, the two nations can come to some sort of agreements to help curb CO2 emissions. By the way, even though the UK prime minister is skipping the UN, Prince William is actually in New York City. He is here for all sorts of climate meetings. And apparently he went on a secret morning run in Central Park. Imagine seeing him if you were out walking your dog or, or going for a run. It's part of the color of being in New York during UN week. The people you will see, the people you may run into. Also, uh, there were some videos last night on TikTok, Jill, of uh, people asking around in a city block with a whole bunch of ambulances and sirens saying, what's going on here? Is there some sort of emergency? And somebody's like, no, 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 it's just Joe Biden getting dinner around the corner. Secret Service has the uh, block locked off. New Yorkers could be so jaded, right? I feel like people like will jaywalk the Secret Service because they don't even care. They'll yell at the Secret Service, like, I live in that apartment. I need to get there. I don't care who's there. I don't care if Joe Biden is there. Let me go home, Secret Service. So um, that's the thing. Prince William Central Park, is he getting in someone's way? Joe Biden, is he getting in someone's way? This is known as a uh, week in New York, which is uh, very inconvenient because of the just incredible amount of security happening. Because, you know, you have the majority of the world's leaders just, you know, going to dinner, going to breakfast at hotels. In some lighter political news from The Washington Post, as they put it, breaking news relevant to only 100 Americans, the U.S. Senate will no longer enforce its dress code for members. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer recently directed the chamber's sergeant at arms to no longer enforce its unwritten selectively enforced dress code of business attire, handing senators the power to wear whatever they want on the Senate floor. So the Washington Post asks, is this yet another sign of constitutional decadence or is it a step in modernity for the fusty, antiquated chamber? Either way, it is the best news ever for Senator John Fetterman, a Democrat from Pennsylvania who would prefer to do business while looking like he's on a Saturday morning jog often wearing hooded sweatshirts and gym shorts. 
and also Senator Kirsten Cinema, who's now an independent from Arizona, who often wears denim vests, tiger prints, etc. Yeah, she's been known to be on the Senate floor with a purple wig, Jill. So clearly times are a changing. You know, there was a time a couple centuries ago when the wigs we were talking about were the sort of official old uh, white wigs that uh, sometimes they still wear in the UK. But of course, things evolve, but not everyone is happy about this. Senator Susan Collins of Maine has joined a number of conservative colleagues in criticizing the new dress code. She says it's too lax, telling one reporter, I think there's a certain dignity that we should be maintaining in the Senate. And to do away with the dress code, to me, debases the institution. She joked that she'll show up in a bikini. Uh, <laughs> remains to be seen. Chill. <laughs> Help! Chill. It remains to be seen <laughs> whether that's going to happen or not. Um, many conservatives are taking aim at John Fetterman over the dress code. He's frequently spotted again in a hoodie and gym shorts. Though, Jill, you know, many senators have been pictured voting in gym clothes for a while. They might go work out at the Senate gym, but then be called to a vote. But because of the rule, and again, you can't make this stuff up, for years, if you're not wearing the proper dress code, if you want to vote, you got to keep one foot in the cloakroom and one foot in the Senate chamber. You can't fully cross the line with both your feet like it's a sports match or something and vote if you're not wearing the proper attire. So that's been the rule for a while. Uh, and women have been trying to uh, break some of these rules. Uh, it was only a couple of years ago when they finally allowed women, both in the House and Senate, to wear open-toed shoes and show their arms. That's only been around for a couple of years. <laughs> so while I certainly am not going to volunteer to wear a bikini on the floor of the Senate like Susan Collins, I actually am going to take her side here, not to be totally old-fashioned, and I, I realize I do this podcast in a hooded sweatshirt every single night, <laughs> but <laughs> but you're also not the U.S. senator. But I'm not a from, U.S. Uh, senator, exactly. Yeah. And occasionally, when I anchor and I fill in at Newsday, or if I was to anchor somewhere again, I would dress the part. So in some ways, I do understand why people are up in arms about this. It's a very traditional institution, though, Jill. Many people would say. What are you guys doing anyway? You're fighting. You're not really solving the nation's crises. Oh, oh, how this debases the institution to wear, you know, uh, a hoodie into a place where you're not getting anything done anyway. Anyway, that's the that's the critical view of it. All right, let's head overseas from CNN. More than 10 percent of Japan's population now age 80 or older. The latest worrying milestone in the rapidly graying country's demographic crisis. According to the figures released by the Japanese government, the proportion of Japan's elderly that's defined as 65 and above is also at a record high. About 30% of the population, which is the highest rate in the world. Japan also facing a plummeting birth rate and shrinking workforce that could impact funding for pensions and also healthcare as demand from the aging population surges. Japan's population overall has been in a steady decline since its economic boom of the 1980s with a fertility rate of 1.3, which is far below the 2.1 needed to maintain a stable population in the absence of immigration. Yeah, Japan has some of the most restrictive immigration laws in the world. They're loosening them, of course, given this. Now, Jill, this has been a trend for a long time. When I was at CBS a few years ago, we did a story about the disappearing population of Japan. We traveled to towns where the schools have been abandoned because there's no kids there anymore. 
But these numbers are pretty stark uh, and various tactics Japan has taken to try to incentivize people to have children uh, have not worked out. The Japanese government has encouraged more seniors and stay-at-home mothers to re-enter the workforce just so things can remain functioning. But that has not been enough. The prime minister of the country recently warning that Japan is, quote, on the brink of not being able to maintain social functions. Now, the foreign resident population has increased over the years. Uh, It has reached now a high of 3 million. Again, the country has more than 100 million in it. So that's still about 2% of the population, far lower in terms of foreign workers than countries like the US, Germany, other economies that are equivalent to Japan. So again, Japan, despite its cultural issues, looking at increasing foreign residents, foreign workers, immigration here. And Japan's not alone. This is an issue they're facing across the region. In China, which has specific issues regarding its one-child policy for many years, it only allowed people to have one child because of uh, worries about population. They recently reversed that, but many people in the Chinese population are not interested in having more than one kid. This is also an issue in South Korea, Singapore, Taiwan, and even the U.S., where we're not quite at Japan levels, but we are seeing a shrinking birth rate. So uh, stay tuned for this story and why this matters. Well, if you don't have an increasing population, it's tough to maintain economic growth. So uh, this is a slippery slope, economically speaking, and uh, why for many countries, they need to figure out new approaches to immigration, legal immigration, in order to preserve their economic strength and growth. Now to the economy here in the U.S. From CBS News, the average price of a gallon of gas in Los Angeles and Orange counties topped $6 a gallon for the first time in almost a year on Tuesday. That's according to AAA. So gas is 47 cents more than it was just one week ago and about 70 cents higher than one month ago. It has dropped, though, about 50 cents since rising to a record $6.50 on October 5th of 2022. So that's, of course, California, where you have uh, a lot of additional fees, state taxes, etc. Um, they're closer to six. The national average right now, Jill, is 388, which is 15 cents more than where we were a year ago. But in many states, you're still living in the threes and maybe the fours. According to AAA, the increasing prices uh, across the board here, save for California and all of its taxes and fees, are the result of rising crude oil prices stemming from oil supply cuts from the Saudis, from the Russians, other OPEC nations. By the way, that flooding in Libya, Libya is a uh, big oil exporter, so that's impacted the global oil market. Also, here domestically, one of the reasons we've talked about this on the Instagram feed that you're seeing increasing prices is refinery renovations. Uh, Here in the U.S., these are renovations that were postponed during COVID happening now, and that means that less oil can be refined meaning we therefore have less gasoline coming out, less available, uh, less supply, equal demand, prices go up. Now, the good news, we will see additional relief as they move from the summer blend to the winter blend of gasoline. We have two types of blends that we see uh, that are based on CO2 emissions. The winter blend tends to be cheaper here, so that should help. Uh, Jill, for anyone curious about how gas prices work, how uh, the oil market works. We have a deep dive available for you over on Mo News Premium Instagram account. You can join over at mo.news slash premium to get that among all the other deep dives uh, we have for you. Okay, and my favorite story of the day from The Guardian, a Danish artist who pocketed large sums of money lent to him by a museum and submitted empty frames as his artwork 
has been ordered by a court to repay the funds. <laughs> Jens Hanning is a conceptual artist whose work focuses on power and inequality. He was commissioned in 2021 by the Kunsten Museum of Modern Art in Northern Denmark to recreate two earlier works that used scores of banknotes to represent average incomes. His previous works displayed bills that were fixed to a canvas in a frame. So the museum gave him about $76,000 from its reserves to recreate the artworks. But when the staff unpacked the newly delivered works, they found two empty frames with the title take the money and run. Well done, yes. (laughs) The museums put the new artworks on display, but when he declined to return the money, uh, they did take legal action. So on Monday, a court in Copenhagen ordered the artist to repay the money that was loaned to him, but said that he should still be paid his fee. The court's judgment deducted roughly $5,700 from the full loan amount to serve as his artist's fee and viewing fee, since the museum nonetheless did exhibit the blank canvases in its Work It Out show. This guy. (laughs) How do you define art? Well, Hanig has done some interviews about it, and he's defending his delivery of the empty frames under the title, Take the Money and Run. This is how he explains it to Danish radio. The work is that I have taken their money. It's not theft. It is breach of contract, and breach of contract is part of the work. Do you get it? I get it. Very clever. He continues here. I encourage other people who have working conditions as miserable as mine to do the same. If they're sitting in some, quote, shitty job and not getting paid and are actually being asked to pay money to go to work, then grab what you can and beat it. He continues here. He was asked to replicate a 10 or 12-year-old work here, right? They said, we like your, your work from a couple of years ago. Please do the same. Here's 76 grand. And he said, listen, I'm not going to repeat my old work. He said this was a better concept and they just didn't understand. Again, I guess, you know, it speaks to the larger question. You can always ask, what is art? Is this art? And he says that returning the canvas, take the money and run, speaks to the, you know, issues for workers these days, uh, sends a message. And that is his art. Jill, it reminds me of a Saved by the Bell episode from 30 years ago where, where Lisa Turtle poses the question, what is art? Is art art? Mosh, as always, I appreciate a good 90s reference. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. That is my response. Uh, another Saved by the Bell reference. Yeah, thank you for the Jesse Spano response <laughs> to the Lisa Turtle iconic line there. I hope some of you listening today understand that reference from the early 90s, Saved by the Bell. Jill, I have to hand it to Jan Senek here. You know, definitely a creative approach. And look, he still made about six grand for his work here. Since the museum posted it anyway. And by the way, the name recognition for him now is probably pretty significant. I bet he's going to make a lot of money off this whole thing in the end because people are hearing about his name for the first time. But will they commission another work? That's <laughs> well, the question. L- listen, it reminds <laughs> me of that banana peel, right? Didn't what, Wasn't that art a couple years ago in Miami? Yes, at Art Basel. <laughs> yes, Art Basel, <laughs> banana Art Basel, peel. And somebody right. paid for it. Yeah, yeah, somebody paid for it apparently. All right, I hope that smooths our transition to On This Day in History with a bit of 90s references there. Uh, we're going to begin, though, in the 16th century in Florida. The year was 1565, and it is the first instance of war here in the U.S. brought to you by the Europeans. Uh, on this day in 1565, Spanish forces captured the French settlement in Fort Caroline, Florida. That's present-day Jacksonville for all of us. 
The decisive French defeat actually encouraged France to refocus its colonial efforts north in what is today Quebec and Nova Scotia. So the French actually were there in Florida. The Spanish defeat them there. And the French are like, you know what? We're not going to go to war with the Spanish over this land. We're going to take up north. The English settle in the middle, the Spaniards for a while down south. All right, we're going to fast forward to the 20th century. On this day, 50 years ago, the Battle of the Sexes tennis match officially takes place. Top women's player Billie Jean King, who was 29 at the time, beats Bobby Riggs, who was 55, a former number one ranked men's player. He was a self-proclaimed male chauvinist. He had boasted that women were inferior, that they could not handle the pressure of tennis. And that led to this huge media event witnessed by 30,000 people in the Houston Astrodome at the time. 50 million people on TV, and Billie Jean King would come out the champion. Billie Jean King, who also uh, championed for women to be paid the same amount of prize money as men in the U.S. Open. Yeah, she was praised for that recently at the U.S. Open, honored for that push. All right, a couple of political items here. On this day in 1995, the U.S. House officially voted to drop the national speed limit. At the time, until 95, folks, the national speed limit was 55 miles per hour. This move in the 90s allowed states to decide their own speed limits, many, of course, choosing to raise them. On this day in 2011, the don't ask, don't tell policy was officially lifted. Now, this was a U.S. military policy that started in the 90s that was actually a compromise measure. There was a move in the early 90s to ban members of the LGBT community from the military. Bill Clinton, a Democratic president at the time, struck a compromise saying, how about you just don't ask people what their sexual preference is? That became the law called Don't Ask, Don't Tell, uh, and that would be in effect until 2011. All right, now to some pop culture history to close us out. On this day in 1984, two iconic television series of the 1980s premiere. The first... The Cosby Show premiered on NBC on this day, starring Bill Cosby as Dr. Huxtable. Uh, He would become known as America's dad, Jill. Although we have now found out a lot about Bill Cosby in recent years, uh, he was sent to prison for multiple instances of sexual assault and rape, though released due to a technicality in agreement that he had faced. He was actually a free man today. Reruns of The Cosby Show were pulled as the accusations around Cosby gained momentum but they are still available for purchase or rental on Amazon. Are they paying you for that <laughs> for that endorsement? No, no, by no means. I just thought it was notable that Amazon's still making Cosby Show episodes available, uh, despite the fact that everyone else pulled them from the airwaves several years ago. It is a shame on so many levels. Um, and besides for, of course, the real serious one, what he was doing to women for, for decades, But also the Cosby show was so good. You could see it living on Netflix now and and just it being one of the shows that's in everyone's rotations that they watch uh, as a rerun. Yeah, it was it was the central part of must see TV on NBC for years. Uh, And so, you know, unfortunate. But of, of course, we you know, we would find out all the crimes that Bill Cosby was committing, by the way, while he was on that show. All right. Also, on this day in 1984, the same day the Cosby show premiered. Uh, Who's the Boss, starring Tony Danza, Judith Lake, uh, also premiering. My husband's first crush, Alyssa Milano, from Who's the Boss. (laughs) (laughs) Is that his get-out-of-jail-free card? (laughs) That's a great question. We've never 
gone there <laughs> even to have that discussion. But he has mentioned <laughs> that um, Samantha from Who's the Boss was his first, his first real crush. All right, finally here. You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way. 27 years you ago, Bette Midler, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, starring in First Wives Club, premiering in theaters September 20th, 1996. Great movie, great cast. And on that note, uh, we're out of here. We want to thank you for listening to the Emo News Daily Podcast. If you like what you hear, share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Please follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. Yes, if you are a regular listener or a first-time listener today, welcome. If you could leave us a review, we'd be so grateful to you over on Apple, uh, Spotify. It actually does make a difference. Uh, Helps us in the rankings, helps us get the word out. And Jill... We should also note that we have the Mo News hotline, and we'd love to hear from you guys over there. You can call 1-800-711-MOSH, M-O-S-H. That is 1-800-711-MOSH. Leave your name. Ask us a news question. We'll play your question on a future episode. So give it a try, the Mo News hotline. All right. Thanks, everybody. Later. See you tomorrow. Maybe. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast. 